Good morning, everyone. Thank you again for welcoming me and our fellowship into your home. Kind of crazy, isn't it? We don't go to church, but now church comes to us. Miss you guys. Praying for our church and you individuals all the time. And I know many of you are praying. We really appreciate it. This coronavirus has turned our world upside down. As one person said, God put the world on hold. It has affected our health. It has affected relationships. It's affecting our families. It's affecting our school. It's affecting our economy. And it's even affecting our work. In God's providence this morning, our passage in 1 Thessalonians 4 is going to talk about the necessity of Christians loving one another and giving attention to our work. In all of this divine disruption of the coronavirus, what a timely passage for us to consider the importance of us loving one another and giving attention to our work, as crazy as it is. Before we begin our passage, and I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I'm encouraged to know that many of you are inviting your, your kids to join us. And so we're going to be looking at a passage because even young people, kids need to hear and be reminded of the importance of love and the importance of work. But I also want to ask you all to do something. We talk often about inviting our friends to church. I want to throw you a curveball this morning. I want to encourage you to invite your church to friends. We're no longer asking them to come and join us. We're inviting them to let us come into their home and join them. I've received some emails of people who are just passing it on to a, to a friend and saying, hey, why don't you go on our website and join us for church? prayerfully asking that God will give them an awakening and an interest in the Word of God. We're going to talk about our website a little bit later, but we're going to begin this morning in chapter 4. Benjamin has prayed for us. John has prayed for us, so we have the Holy Spirit's help. And we're going to look, first of all, at the subject of work. You see, some of us right now, because of the virus, are out of work. Even if you hate your job, it's still hard to be out of work because of the uncertainty of our income. Others of us are forced to work at home or have experienced a big change in our work. We're not doing what we used to do. Even those who don't work outside the home, who work inside the home, many of those caretakers are having to work even harder. They're, they're still making bricks, but now they're gathering straw. The kids aren't at school anymore. So I want us to, as we begin this passage, as we think about the coronavirus, as we think about how it's disrupted our world and our work, start with a brief question. What is this strange thing that we call work? Is work just a job to support ourselves? Who came up with the idea of work anyway? In fact, kids, wouldn't you agree? Why don't we all just cancel work from now on? 
Kids don't have to work on schoolwork. Kids don't have to work on chores. Parents don't have to go to work. Moms or dads don't have to work anymore at home, don't have to cook, don't have to clean house, don't have to do anything. We know how that would end. So we can't get rid of work. But where did work begin? Did it begin after Adam and Eve ate the fruit and God said, now you've got to go to work? No. Was it free food before the fall? Pick all the luscious fruit you want. Now get out and go figure out. No more picking fruit, but you are going to have to have thorny ground and sweaty brows. Well, that's a part of it. But I want you to think about this. Work began with God. Work began with God. God is a working God. Even when he created us, the Bible says, in six days, God created. He worked, and then he rested from his work. So when God made us in his image, part of being made in his image was that he made us with a desire and a capacity to work. He didn't create us to sit around to play and be idle all the time. We were created by God to work. And so Paul has been working through this passage with the Thessalonians. He has encouraged them to love one another. He prays for them. He encourages them to aspire in purity and sanctification. And now he says, let's talk about love and let's talk about work. So we only have two main things we're going to look at this morning in 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 12. The first thing we're going to look at is found in verses 9 and 10, and we're going to talk about work. If you're taking notes, it's very simple. The first thing we're going to learn is Christians are born to love, but we must blossom our love. Let me say it again. We are born to love, but we must blossom our love. Let's read verses 9 and 10. Now, as to the love of the brethren, and that's one word in Greek, brotherly love. It's actually the word, ready? Philadelphia. Now, concerning Philadelphia, brotherly love, this, this affection that Christians share for other Christians, Paul says, you have no need for anyone to write you. What does he mean by that? Well, he obviously felt they had a need for him to write to them about sanctification, but when it comes to loving, he says, you don't need anybody to write you. Why not? Look what he says. You yourselves are taught by God to love one another. That's one word. In, in the original language, it's one word. Theodidaskia, taught by God. Didaskos is teacher. Theos is God. Theodidaskia, you're taught by God. What, what does that mean? Well, I think what Paul is telling us here, and this is something really cool to think about as Christians, we are born to love other Christians. Let me give you an analogy. Did you ever notice that when you grew up, you might not have got along great with your sibling, but if somebody messed with your brother and sister, woo, it's going to be a hard time for them 
because there's something inside of us that we naturally have an affection toward our siblings. When someone doesn't have that, the Bible says they are without natural affection. It's natural to love your earthly siblings. However, you still need to be trained to love your earthly siblings. Parents, that's, that's one of the primary points of, of parenting is teaching our children that the family is the petri dish in which we're going to learn how to love. In the same way, though, when you become a Christian, we are born to love. And I think that's what Paul means when he says, you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. What does he mean by that? Well, I think there's, there's three ways that we're born to love or three ways that God teaches us as Christians how to love other Christians. Number one, he implants his nature in us. Second Peter chapter 1 says this, we have become partakers of the divine nature. If dad puts his nature in me, then naturally, other ones who have dad's nature in them, I'm going to love them. That's why the Bible says, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. So God implants his nature in us. We are born to love other Christians. The second way is God actually writes it in our hearts. Think of your heart as a tablet, or maybe think of it as a computer, and God downloads into your heart love. This idea of being taught of God, Jesus quoted Isaiah in John 6, 45. He said, it is written in the prophets, they shall all be taught by God. When the Bible spoke of God making a new covenant, this new covenant that Jesus said is in my blood, the new covenant promised that God would change our hearts. God said in Jeremiah, and you can write this down, in Jeremiah 31, I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. So God gives us this new life as Christians he gives us a new nature. He writes in our heart love. And then the third way that we're born to love is he puts his Holy Spirit inside of us. Romans chapter 5 says this, hope does not disappoint us because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. The love of God has been poured out. And so what we learn here as Christians is God has actually begotten us. We're born to love. However, don't miss what Paul says. He says, you are practicing it, but we urge you to excel still more. While we're born to love, we have to blossom our love. We have to seek to cause our love to grow. Flowers and fruit and plants don't just blossom well the way we want them to unless we till the ground, pull the weeds, fertilize the soil. And so as Paul tells us as Christians, blossom that love, let it excel, help it to grow. 
it's really important that we think at this critical time when the coronavirus is going on and we can't even gather with one another, what does it look like to blossom my love? Well, don't forget, we already saw in chapter 3 that one way we blossom our love is by praying for it. Paul said, I'm praying that your love will abound. Secondly, to blossom your love and, and, and and young people, children, you can, you can do this. You can learn and work on becoming more loving is we have to identify and increase certain areas in our lives. We have to recognize our deficiencies and then rectify them. So, for example, the Bible says love is patient. If you're losing your patience with, with your siblings or your parents or kids, losing your parents or losing your patience with your coworkers, your neighbors. When you are losing your patience and going off in anger, you need to pray that God will blossom your love. Love is patient. Love is not selfish. Love is kind. Love doesn't seek its own. As we come to the end of this message, I'm going to remind us and give us some very practical ways to say, during this coronavirus, thank you, God, that I'm born to love I have the spirit inside of me, but I want to blossom my love. I want to intentionally pray and pursue and practice growing in my love. But there's a second thing that Paul's going to invite us to do here. And it's kind of funny because it all relates to work, but it's found in verses 11 and 12. He's basically going to tell us to do three things. Write them down. Mellow out. Mind your business and make work a priority. Let me say it again. Mellow out, mind your business, and make work a priority. Look what Paul says in verse 11. He says, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Mellow out. Attend to your own business. Mind your business. Work with your hands, just as we commanded you. In other words, make work a priority. Why? So that you may behave properly toward outsiders. And secondly, so that you won't be in any need. What is he talking about here? And how does this relate to me? Do you not understand, Pastor Tom, that I don't even have a job? How can you be talking about work right now? I want to work. Well, God is teaching all of us three things. Number one, mellow out. He says, make it your ambition. That word means to strive, to aspire for, to set a goal. Consider this and work toward it. What? What should I be making my ambition? To lead a quiet life. Now, that word literally means to refrain from disturbing activities, to be peaceable and orderly, chill out, mellow out. In fact, I couldn't help of Philippians chapter 4. This came to my mind as I think about this passage. Paul says, 
let your gentleness be known to all men. Now, it really gets you thinking here, what must have been going on that Paul is telling these people who he says are pretty enthusiastic Christians to lead a quiet life? And I I don't know for sure, but but I had some thoughts. Maybe they were over-enthusiastic and on the borderline of obnoxious. I had an experience just this week where a Christian walked up to me, a young person, and in all of his zeal and enthusiasm, he shoves a track in front of me. He goes, here, man, are you washed in the blood of Jesus? Now, I have complete respect for him. I am grateful for his zeal. But I am not sure that in our culture, shoving a track in someone's chest and saying, here, man, are you washed in the blood of Jesus, is going to have the most effective influence. What does Paul mean by leading a quiet life? We all kind of know some Christians that are obnoxious. You know, the one who says, hey, I'm going to leave my Christian radio on at work. I don't care if it bugs my fellow workers. I have my rights. Maybe at this, at this time in this culture, they had political meetings. Maybe these were the political Christians who are always running their mouth. You know, I couldn't help but think here about how maybe today this might be obnoxious T-shirts. Sometimes I look and I think to myself, why would a Christian want to have such an obnoxious political T-shirt? Why would they want to have such an offensive bumper sticker? Why would they want to have something that's so in-your-face and dramatic and confrontational? Maybe Paul's talking here about Christians who talk too much. Maybe he's talking here about Christians who talk too loud. You know, did you ever notice that some people, wherever they are, there's drama And so I can imagine that Paul is telling us all, hey, if you're a Christian, mellow out. Let me read a couple cross-references here. First of all, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul says, we command you in the Lord Jesus. Now listen to this. Chapter 3, verse 12. Work in a quiet fashion. Here's an even more striking one. 1 Timothy 2, verse 2 says, you should pray for your authorities. We should pray for Donald Trump. Why? Listen to this. He says, we should pray so that we can lead a tranquil, quiet life in godliness. I mean, think about that. How do you relate to your neighbors, friends, to your kids, to your spouse? Are you loud? Are you, are you edgy? Are you annoying? Are you always the, 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 the one yakking, simmer down. In multitude of words, transgression is unavoidable. Mellow out. Well, that's Paul's first point. As Christians, yeah, we need to remember we're born to love, but we have to blossom it. But when it comes to work and our relationships, he says, number one, mellow out. But now, number two, mind your business. Wait, what? Look at it. Verse 11. Attend to your own business. Hey, we all need to hear that. Kids, you need to hear that. 
It's not fair. Why did he get a bigger cookie? Why didn't I get that? Why does he have to do that? Listen. Mind your own business. What does that mean? Well, there's a couple verses that Paul talks about this concept in the New Testament. In 2 Thessalonians 3, he says, I hear that there's some people in your church who are acting like busybodies. Busybodies. That word means to be a meddler. It means to be concerning yourself with other people's stuff when you really ought to be concerned about your own stuff. One of the things that characterizes people who don't mind their business is they're talking into conversations they don't belong, and then they're talking about things that they shouldn't be talking about. So here's another cross-reference. In 1 Timothy 5, verse 13, Paul speaks about this idea again. He says, some people learn to be gossips and busybodies. And then he says this, talking about things that it is not proper to mention. The NIV says, saying things that they ought not to be saying. So, hmm, as a Christian, you don't hear many sermons on that. Mind your business. Because, wait a minute, Tom, aren't, aren't, aren't I my brother's keeper? Doesn't Genesis say I'm supposed to care about my brother? Yes, I should care about my brother. I should love my brother. I should serve and sacrifice and, 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 and be concerned for him. But I have to learn how to, to, to know what's my business and what's not my business. What I should be getting involved with and what I shouldn't be getting involved with. What I should be talking about and what I shouldn't be talking about. So again, parents, as you're teaching children, if they're so worried about whether he did this or why this or how come he... You know, this isn't something that only children experience. As I was preparing this, I thought... Here's a perfect example of this. Some of you remember this story. After Jesus rose from the dead, he and James, I'm sorry, he and John and Peter were going for a little stroll. And as they're walking along, Jesus told Peter, hey, Peter, this is how you're going to die. And if I had to summarize it, he basically said to him, Peter, you're going to be crucified. Well, as they continued to walk, Peter was waiting for Jesus to tell John, hey, John, how are you going to be crucified? But Jesus didn't do that. So, and you could read this later. John 21, verses 20 through 22. Listen to this. It's actually kind of funny. Peter turns around. He looks at the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's John. The one... Who, who leaned back on his breast and said, Lord, who's betraying you? And, and seeing him, Peter says to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Thank you for telling me how I'm going to die. Now, how's he going to die? I love Jesus' answer. If I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? Whoops. 
I think Jesus just said, M-Y-O-B, Peter, what is that to you? You say, yeah, I know my kids do that. We do that. Are you preoccupied with what someone else gets paid? It's not fair. It's not right. Are you, are you meddling into other people's business that really doesn't concern you, talking about them, or why didn't... Wait a minute. Paul instructs us as Christians, mellow out, lead a quiet life, mind your business, and then finally, the last thing he says is, and make work a priority. Now, this is kind of cool. He says, work with your hands. Now, I want you to think now for, for, for that culture, I want to give you some background. Manual labor, working with your hands in that culture was considered honorable and shameful. It all depended your perspective. Interestingly, Jewish people considered manual labor honorable. Every Jewish person taught their children a manual trade. Every kid, no exceptions. In fact, it's very interesting. Jesus was a technon. His father taught him to be a technon. Many people think that that only means a carpenter. That same word was used frequently of a stonemason. And in fact, when you consider the area of Galilee did not have a whole lot of wood, it's quite likely that Jesus was probably more skilled in working with stones than he was with wood. But Jesus had a trade. He worked with his hands. On the other hand, Greeks and Romans looked down on manual labor. They considered manual labor to be demeaning. That's just for low-class people. That's just for servants. I think we need to, as a Christian, understand that trades and, and, and working with your hand, that's a very noble thing to do. So whether, you, whether you're white-collar, blue-collar, whether you make money with your back or your brains, that's not the issue. The issue is, is that we need to make work a priority. In fact, it's kind of interesting when you think about work because work isn't something that we just kind of, we kind of just, well, yeah, I mean, I got to do that also. Work is part of the heart and soul of what it means to be a Christian. Think about this. I was created in the image of God. I was created to work. But when I became a sinner, two things affected it. Number one, work got a lot harder because the ground is cursed and my disposition towards work was messed up. So, none of us, ironically, are born wanting to work. None of us are born loving to work. We have to learn to make work a priority. But it's really exciting because as a Christian, we can recognize that our work is part of our worship. We don't just worship God two hours a week. We worship God in our work. Whatever we do, we do it for the Lord. So young people, boys and girls, when you're doing your schoolwork, do it for Jesus. When I first became a Christian, when I was still in high school, before I would take a test, I would pray and say, Lord Jesus, I'm doing this for you. It gives us a new perspective. Now, that doesn't mean I always like my work. It simply means that I make my work a priority. 
And again, let me remind you, work is not always fun. That's why it's called work, not play. But as you think about this, there are two views as to why Paul said this. One of the most common views is that some of the Christians were so enthusiastic about the Lord and they were so eager for the Lord to come that they just stopped working. They loved to study the Bible. They'd come over your house to talk about Jesus. They'd go and, and, and serve the Lord and preach and pray. But when it came to work, they didn't. And guess what happens when you don't work? You can't pay your bills and you don't have food. So what do people like that do? Then they sponge off of others. Then they assume that everybody else is going to take care of them. Then they become, quote, America's guest. And Paul's saying, listen, don't do that. But there's another interesting view. I was reading a commentary this week, and he said this. He said, I don't think Paul was talking about people who stopped working because they were enthusiastic. In this culture, they had what they called a patron system, a patron system. Many poor people made a deal with wealthy people, and they called them the patron. The wealthy person would give you money, and he would take care of you, but you had to honor him considerably. Each day you had to come to his house and greet him. Whenever there was a political gathering, you would come and you would support him and say good things about him and kind of, kind of flatter him. And some Christians possibly were going, hey, that's a pretty good deal. Just say nice things about a guy and he'll give me free money. This particular commentary by a man, last name of Green, said this. He said, Paul was telling them, you can't do that anymore. If you're a Christian, don't go around just being a men pleaser, sponging and saying nice things and being a patron. You stop that. And the reality would be, if they told the patron, I'm not doing that anymore, they probably would be persecuted. But Paul says, that's not how Christians support themselves. He said, work with your hands just as we commanded you. So we make work a priority. And one of the primary reasons people fail at work is because of a lack of discipline. Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 3, follow our example. Listen to this. Don't act undisciplined. He said, we worked night and day we worked and told you that if someone's not willing to work, don't let him eat. We should not encourage people to be lazy. If your kids have been living in your basement and they're out of college and they're between jobs for years, sometimes we need to think about that. Why aren't they being forced to learn how to work? Now, I realize there are circumstances. I want to encourage you sometime to read Proverbs 26, verses 14 through 16. The Bible uses a word for people who don't want to work. It's called a sluggard, a lazy person. Sluggards have all kinds of reasons why they don't go to work. By the way, many people who have craft businesses or trades who are trying to get employees, like 
like just landscapers or carpenters and so forth, ask them how hard it is to get someone who will repeatedly show up for work. So the sluggard, Proverbs says, as a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard turn on his bed. That's why boys and girls, mom and dad, don't let you stay in bed. And parent, don't let your kids stay in bed till noon every day. Teach them. You're going to get up. Life is not just sleeping and playing and cartoons and candy and, and pajamas. The proverb says, a, a sluggard says, I can't work today because I heard there's a lion in the streets. People have all kinds of excuses for their laziness. Give attention to your work. But I want you to notice as we close that there's a reason why Paul's so concerned that we mellow out, mind our business, and work hard. Look what he says, verse 12, so that you may behave properly toward outsiders. In other words, mellowing out, minding our business, and working hard is a great testimony. Your work is part of your testimony. Even if you work in the home, your kids know, they see. Are you sitting around, laying around, watching TV all the time? Or are you modeling for them work? For some of you parents, this is a difficult time because you realize that, that, that you're being called on to, to, to school your kids and, and they don't want to get up and they don't, don't want to work. Well, it's a challenge for all of us because this is part of our testimony. You see, the New Testament teaches us that Christians can have an influence on non-Christians through the way that we live. In fact... Consider that neighbors, friends, family members who don't know the Lord. The Bible calls them outsiders. If you ever want to be a spiritual leader, 1 Timothy 3 verse 7 says, you must have a good reputation with those outside the church. And so consider that you're a mellow neighbor. You're not the one that's yelling all the time at the umpire at the, at the, at the sports game. That, that you're not the one that's causing drama and complaining at work, that you're not the one with the obnoxious bumper stickers, that you're not the one who's loud and aggressive if somebody cuts you off, but you're mellow, you're minding your business, and you're making work a priority. As we close this morning, I want to encourage you to think about a couple things. Number one, you need to ask yourself, have you been born to love? The Bible says, he that does not love, does not know God. If you find it impossible and you hate everybody, it may be that because you have not received a new heart from God, rather than try to change yourself, recreate yourself, ask God to save you and change you. This is why Jesus said, you must be born again. You're broken. It's not enough to just tell someone, go and love your neighbor. God has to give you a new heart. If you've never asked the Lord to forgive your sins, if you've never believed that he died on the cross and rose again, today, ask Jesus to forgive your sins. Tell him you believe that he died and rose again. Tell him you want to be born again. You want to be born to love. But I want to ask you to discuss this with your family, with your spouses, to ask yourself, is there any area that I need to learn to love? Where am I deficient? So for some of you, you need to think about, are you giving? If you're not giving anything to anybody, you're not loving. Love gives. 
Are you sacrificing? Love is not selfish. Love thinks about others. Love is patient. As we're going through this coronavirus, it's a tremendous opportunity for us to blossom our love. If you go to our website, Austin and and some of our folks have created a place where you can get involved. You'll see how you can ask for prayer, how you can help with prayer, how you can help support. Particularly, I want to encourage you to save some extra money to help others. Paul says, don't be any need, but in Ephesians it says, work so that you can help those who have need. Folks, things are coming down here and crumbling. We're going to need to help each other. Let's pray that we can blossom in our love. Maybe you need to stop fighting in front of your kids and, and, and show them what it means to love. But secondly, in what areas might you need to make work a bigger priority? Housework? Homework, kids, homework. I know you might not feel like it. How about this one, people? The Lord's work. What is the name of this series? Walking worthy while waiting. How do I walk worthy? I abound in the work of the Lord. If you're not doing any praying, that's work. You're not doing any work for the Lord. If you're not praying, that's such an important part of the Lord's work. Praying, giving, serving, teaching. By all means, pick up the phone. Call people. That's a display of love. None of, we're all busy. Look at interruptions as opportunities to grow and show love during this difficult time. Folks, if, if this pandemic continues, we are going to, most of us, face a lot of sorrow and loss. And we need to be there praying that God will help us to blossom in love for each other. We're going to need each other more than ever in this pandemic. And finally, in what area might you need to make work a priority? Homework, the Lord's work, spiritual work. May the Holy Spirit press home this wonderful passage for us. We're born to love but we have to blossom. And while we're doing that, let's all pray that we can mellow out, mind our business, and make work a priority. May God bless you, and my prayer is for the Spirit of the Lord to rest and give you peace. Father, thank you for our time in your word. As we close now, may we talk over the word and how we can change with our family and loved ones and friends. And perhaps this morning, someone will become born into your family and they will be born to love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.